You're listening to a podcast from Oasis Church Bath. To find out more about us, visit our website at www.oasisbath.org. Great. Good morning, everyone. Um, for anyone that I've not met, uh, my name's Joe, and I'm the hub leader. So that egg thing, that was me in, in the middle. I nearly went, anybody want to do that as well? But, <laughs> but actually you can't because I really like my job, so I'm going to carry on doing it. Um, but yeah, so that means that I kind of lead um, the work of Oasis uh, as a whole, but also I, I lead the church alongside the church steering group as well. Um, so yeah, we're sort of nearing the end of this uh, this series, What's on Your Mind? And today I want to talk about something that's been on my mind recently, and that's um, actually church leadership, or how we maybe should or could do church leadership in, in a progressive church like Oasis. Now you might already be checking out a bit going well that's really interesting for you Joe because you're a church leader but I'm not so you know how does that impact me or, or why is that relevant uh, to my life but I think it really is so firstly you're in a church hopefully you're you're aware of that <laughs> unless anyone's like oh you've come to the wrong place um, and this church has a leader and a, a leadership team so I think it's important to understand isn't it how that works and maybe why we do things the way that we do them and also as a Baptist church we believe that everybody has a role to play so every voice is important and every decision that we make should be made together so when we're talking about things like leadership and you know how we lead here how the leadership is structured um, if you're part of Oasis then you know hopefully you're part of that too and I think it's been on my mind recently for, um, for a few different reasons, actually. One of those is, is because of the repeated uh, stories, I guess, of, of moral failure and abuse committed by quite prominent Christian leaders that have hit the headlines recently. And maybe you know nothing about that, and um, if you don't, then that's probably for, that's for the best. Don't, don't go searching for that stuff. But um, yeah, the most notable and perhaps well-known in, in this context would be Mike Pilavacci. So Mike uh, founded the Soul Survivor Youth Festivals, and until his recent suspension due to allegations of abuse, he led the Soul Survivor Church in Watford. And I'm not going to talk about that situation specifically, but I know that for lots of us, Soul Survivor has played um, quite a big part um, in our lives, or it certainly has in the Christian world. And so for many of us who, you know, grew up attending festivals or we took groups of young people to them, you know, the news has been, you know, quite major. I think it's been quite unsettling for lots of people and quite worrying. And I think these kinds of situations, you know, he's not the only one, is there? I mean, I, I'm not going to list, like, all the names, but it's just happening quite a lot at the moment. And I think, um, for me, when there's a pattern of something or it's just an opportunity to reflect and learn and maybe think about how we can do things a little bit differently and actually I think it's important to say as well that like it isn't just big famous Christian celebrity leaders I've actually um, had examples quite locally recently of yeah people that have been really hurt by church leadership done in a particular way so I'm not going to speak about any of those situations <laughs> like because I don't know anything about them but um, I hope that today we'll speak into some of that even if I'm not going to like obviously draw those links for you and um, we, you know, we talked a lot, haven't we, recently about this idea of reimagining. So how we're part of this, you know, great tradition that has permission to reimagine how we do things in this time and for this generation. And I think, of course, that includes how we lead and run a church. And maybe I've touched on this already, but I speak to a lot of people, um, you know, including in this church, who have been so deeply hurt by church leaders and leadership that has been done badly or even abusively. And so it's really important that we acknowledge that that's the experience of many of us that are sitting here and many people that we know, and that we keep reflecting and considering how we do church leadership in the best and healthiest way possible so that we don't hurt people and 
people will get hurt because we're people but um you know i think there's a way to be healthy in what we do um, and maybe even so that we can help people heal from some of the hurt they've experienced in the past so i think there will be lots that's relevant to daily life and i'll get to that bit so um, hang in there for that as well so what I want to do this morning is talk about, I guess, a bit about my kind of heart or really my vision, I guess, for progressive leadership and I'll sort of weave in elements of my own experience and a bit of uh, theology and theory in that as well. And then I'm going to talk briefly about what we do um, here at Oasis Church Bath in terms of leadership and why. And then I'm going to come into land, I think, by talking about the concept of, of ministry and how I actually believe that we're, we're all in ministry um, in all the things that we do, the roles that we have and the places that we go. So a little bit of a disclaimer that obviously, you know, it's, it's important to acknowledge that leadership is a huge topic, isn't it? And there have been hundreds of books written on leadership and particularly Christian leadership. So I've got like a really small amount of time this morning. So I'm not going to cover everything. And because of the nature and title of this series, I sort of just want to own that what I'm saying is a bit more about my personal opinion and view. So as ever, you're very, very welcome to disagree with me and have a different view and opinion. I'd love to, to chat about it with you at the, at the end of the service. So it's just it's my view and there'll be other views. Um, so yeah, I think at this point, I think it's, it's really important to remind ourselves of something that Rob did a, a brilliant talk on a while ago, uh, which is a tool called the Wesleyan Quadrilateral. Sounds very fancy, doesn't it? There it is. Um, so yeah, it's uh, if you haven't, if you didn't hear that talk or you've no idea what that is, I would really encourage digging it out on our SoundCloud page because it's it's uh, it's a really good one. And um, this was an idea that came from John Wesley. And the idea behind it is that whenever we're sort of making decisions about anything, but I'd argue particularly sort of theological issues, that we take into account these, these four things and we integrate them together to help shape our approach. So we look at what the Bible says, you know, what does our logical, rational minds tell us, you know, what's our, what's our gut saying? Also, what's been the experience of both ourselves and others, and what have people done before us? Um, you know, like those people that have led before that kind of great cloud of witnesses idea. You know, what's the tradition, the history of our tradition? How have people done things or thought about that particular thing in the past? So I personally think it's like a massively helpful tool for everything, but definitely when we're thinking about leadership, I've tried to sort of think about incorporating these these four areas. Um, and there's one really amazing book that I'd like to recommend, which I think takes all of these four things and applies them really well to how church should be led. Um, so if you want to dig more into this stuff or you want to find out more about, um, you know, what shaped my, my views, then uh, this, is, this is the book. So it's called Multi-Voice Church and it's by Stuart and Sean Murray-Williams. Uh, so Sean was actually a colleague of mine when I worked as a lecturer at Bristol Baptist College um, and Stuart a little bit as well. Um, they're both, you know, um, well, kind of legends really. They, they've got like a wealth of experience in church leadership leadership church planting um, Stuart wrote a, um, a quite um, a sort of really key set of books on this idea of being post-Christendom so kind of after um, the, the, the whole kind of our culture being shaped by Christianity um, and I think when they published this book it was quite a long time ago now but it was I think really ahead of its time uh, the basic premise is that it argues that we need to move from a mono-voice church to a multi-voice church so in the past maybe we've perhaps had uh, a style you know mostly in the west predominantly in, in in these kind of churches we've perhaps had a church leadership style where there's like you know one leader one person in charge and they say all the stuff make all the decisions and they do everything and I think that has been massively problematic for a number of reasons and I think that we're seeing the fallout of some of that and what's happening and particularly in the evangelical Christian world 
Um, and I think that this book um, is a really interesting alternative approach. So they argue that, um, yeah, I guess church that takes those four areas that we talked about um, into consideration, as well as culture. So, you know, recognising that we do live in this kind of postmodern, post-Christian country. So they say that church should be multi-voiced. So that means, you know, everybody has a part to play. Everyone's voice is important and leadership is done collaboratively and participatively, which is a word that I can't always say. Um, so this, and I think it's a deeply Baptist idea, isn't it? I would argue it's a deeply biblical idea, but they unpack that more in the book. And of course, you know, in the Bible as well, there are many different examples of leadership, some of it good, some of it bad, some of it just utterly bizarre. And I don't think it's particularly helpful to sort of look at a certain example or a style of leadership from the early church or or in the Bible and sort of directly apply it to our church today, because I think it's a little bit more complicated than that. There's a bit of contextualising to be done. You know, our culture is radically different, isn't it? And I think our approach needs to be different too. But I do think there's value um, in looking sort of in general at principles of New Testament leadership. So both looking at Jesus and exploring how it was done in the early church with leaders like Paul um, and the other disciples and apostles. So, and um, the Murray Williams, in in their book, they list these four specific principles, which I just want to sort of briefly explain, because I think they're, um, yeah, really helpful. So the first one is Pentecost and prophecy. So this refers to the prophecy in the book of Joel that was fulfilled in Acts, that God's spirit would be poured out on all people. So, you know, not just some chosen leaders and some special people, but all people. You know, we could all hear and experience God equally. And they also make the point here that there's a, there is a place for a mono voice at times. You know, so Paul often addressed people, didn't he? Like Jesus did sermons, you know, so, and we're doing it right now, aren't we? So there is a place for um, individuals to speak there's nothing kind of wrong with that but the idea is it shouldn't be the only approach and it shouldn't be the the same person doing it each time and only that one person okay and the next one domesticity and dialogue so let's not forget actually that most of the meetings that took part in the early church were actually in people's homes and dialogue rather than monologue so conversation discussion debate was a much more common feature of community life so rather than sort of attending an event to kind of listen to one person giving you the answers uh, being a follower of Jesus is, is actually more about joining a community where we all ask questions together and that was very common in the, the rabbinical world at the time of Jesus as well you know you had rabbis with different interpretations of scripture and then different followers who would follow certain rabbis um, who had particular um, interpretations or yoke um, you know, of, of scripture. So that was where we get some of that kind of follower disciples sort of language from. Um, so this is a quote from, oh, have I not, have I not put that in? There we go. Um, yeah, this is a quote from, from uh, the book. So Luke, this is a, as in the gospel writer Luke, quite often uses dialogomai, I'm going to say that with confidence as a Greek word, the the word from which our term dialogue is derived to describe Paul's approach. He also commends the Jewish community in Berea because when they heard Paul's message, they examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. Active engagement is preferable to passive reception, it seems. So yeah, a normal part of early church was about this idea of dialogue and conversation and debate. Um, Okay, I'm going to go back. (laughs) I always managed to get these in the wrong order. Okay, so participation and plurality. 
So Paul's description of the church as a body with many parts, that'll be a passage that lots of us are familiar with. I think he's one of the most powerful biblical metaphors, isn't it, for, for church? And I think there's a big clue there as to how church leadership should be done. So, you know, everybody has a part to play, but no part is greater or more special than another. They all sort of work together to be the presence of God in the world. And the early church was led by multiple people, you know, working together um, as a team. Okay, and then finally, what did Jesus say and do? So, you know, that's hopefully a question that we, we ask all the time when we're thinking about all sorts of things. But, um, and Jesus was, of course, a leader. You know, he had followers. And it's important to say that I'm not arguing that we shouldn't have leaders or, you know, bin the idea of leadership completely, not at all. But Jesus' approach, I think, was always empowering, participative and collaborative. Um, he always involved the disciples, didn't he, in everything that he did. He, he was empowering, you know, and sometimes they made mistakes, but that was okay. You know, he, he always involved people in the things that he did. And he also rarely gave answers, but he encouraged discussion, debate and questions as well. So I love this quote from Kevin Nye. So in the Gospels, Jesus is asked 187 questions. He answers maybe eight of them. He himself asks 307. Maybe faith isn't about certainty, but learning to ask and sit in the complexity of good questions. And I would say maybe leadership isn't about certainty but learning to ask and sit in the complexity of good questions with a bunch of lovely people like you guys <laughs> um so yeah i think that has a lot to say about about leadership uh, another book I found really helpful is called The Leadership Jump by Jimmy Long, which is about how we sort of combine existing and emerging leadership approaches within the church. And um, he identifies the following sort of jumps that we need to make, you know, kind of from this to, to, to this. So firstly, he argues that we need to move away from um, these three C's that he identifies in some more traditional sort of types of churches, particularly kind of within the, within the sort of evangelical world. Um, so churches that maybe have command, control and celebrity as key features. Of, of, of a leader um, so perhaps a leader that tells people what to do that is heavily in control of everything and that is seen as some kind of celebrity within the, within the community and that he says that we need to move um, to these these things so from task orientated to community community orientated so rather than like the one thing that we're doing you know like Sundays or um, we actually move to like building a community and being part of, of that kind of shared life together from mapping out the destination to journeying with others. So rather than telling people where to go, we all work out where we're going together. From directing to empowering. So um, yeah, rather than telling people what to do, we you know, find what people want to do themselves and we, we equip them with the skills, resources and that they need to be able to do those things. And from aspiring to inspiring. Um, so hopefully there's a sense of kind of you know, rather than, again, directing people or saying this is what we're trying to get to, it's about inspiring us all to do the things that we do in all the different places that we do them. And I, I think that I really love that as a model of leadership, and that's shaped my approach quite a bit. And I hope that we're doing that here at Oasis, even if there's always, you know, more to learn isn't there, and things that, that we could be doing better. And some of you know, who know me know this already, but um, a hugely formative experience for me was being part of a church and working for a church for several years where I would say that command, control and celebrity were very much the style of leadership. So the church was run uh, entirely by one leader with a staff team who basically all just kind of followed her instructions without being given any autonomy or empowerment. Um, mistakes just weren't tolerated at all and were often quite harshly punished. And this sort of main leader was some kind of, you know, was seen as a bit of a celebrity 
society where everybody was like falling over themselves to make sure that she was happy and that she approved of what you're doing and whatever she said went so you weren't really allowed to ask questions or you could ask a question but you had to then accept what the answer was you couldn't really sort of disagree with it and it took me a long time to see it because I was quite young when I was involved in it but actually it was it was hugely damaging and it was quite toxic as an environment and for me in the end it became spiritually abusive and it really damaged me as well as a lot of other people but it was a huge learning experience for me and again that's really shaped my approach to leadership and why I do things the way that that I do and um yeah I think it's important to sort of acknowledge isn't it like lots of you sitting here will have had experiences like that and I think I just wanted to say sorry like if a church leader has hurt you or has has been spiritually abusive towards you and you're still reeling or recovering from that then it's important somebody says sorry and as somebody in leadership I'm really mindful of of the risk of that and and I'm trying to not to not do that (laughs) but I think hear it from me that I'm that I'm sorry and um yeah I think it is possible to kind of to heal and move on and recover um but yeah and so I think, yeah, I want to be clear that obviously, you know, there is a church leader here and that's something that we definitely um, believe. And that, that happens to be me at the moment. And it may not always be, but who knows? Uh, and I'm not saying that having a, a designated church leader is a bad thing at all. In fact, actually, I think sometimes having no leader or no leadership or um, having a lack of designated or strong leadership, I think, can actually be just as damaging as having a bad or controlling leader. Um, but maybe it's important to, uh, maybe it's helpful to kind of talk a little bit about, you know, maybe some of the things that we've got in place here um, and, you know, why we do things as we do. And, um, yeah what's important to me as a leader I guess so I think I think one of the things that's really important to me is about leading as as what some of us would call like a leader amongst equals so I am the hub leader that's my job but I sit in these teams and and we do lead equally so while I'm the church leader the church steering group lead and make decisions just as much as me and okay if we hit a deadlock on something um maybe it would mean that I would then make that final decision but I can't tell you how amazing that church steering group is and how helpful it is I mean so many times I've gone to that group with you know quite frankly an appalling idea (laughs) Um, and somebody's gone no we shouldn't do that or I've wanted to send an email to somebody and sent it and everyone's go you can't say that (laughs) but it's been really helpful for me to like yeah have that feedback and and it feels like it refines what we do because rather than just one person and one set of experience and one set of views I've got you know five six people with these different perspectives so it kind of just gets refined it gets batted around and then in the end what we what we have is so much better and so much healthier um, so I really value the um, all the governance groups because I think they help just just kind of better and refine what we do. So I'm a leader, but I'm a leader uh, amongst the equals. And this, yeah, this is, and Lee said it earlier, this is our kind of the egg, as we call it, um, sort of how our leadership is, is structured um, at the moment. Um, there's also something really important for me about accountability and line management so I'm line managed through Oasis nationally um, but also the groups provide that accountability so every meeting there are actions that are recorded and the first thing we do at every meeting is, is go down those actions and if I haven't done something or somebody else hasn't done something you know that will be revealed and so yeah there's, there's a sense of accountability and within the staff team as well so our staff team have an ops meeting every week um, staff have supervision so there's a, there's a, ho- a hopefully a culture of accountability and line management in what we do 
And I think it's also really important that I'm working on my own spiritual growth and emotional health. Um, I think so often when church leadership turns toxic or bad, I think it's because, um, not always, but in my experience, it's been because that person, that leader isn't willing to, to work on themselves or um, to look at maybe some of their own stuff, some of their own issues, and we all have that. Um, and so I'm really committed to doing that. I've got a spiritual director. Um, I'm, I'm engaged in lots of different types of things that help me learn and reflect. I have clinical supervision. Um, so all of that is really important to just make sure that I'm, I'm reflecting on what I'm doing. I have a, like a 360 appraisal once a year where we invite feedback from all our governance groups so people have an opportunity to say anonymously what they really think of what I'm doing, which is really helpful. And, and just a couple more things. There's also something for me that's really important about hearing everyone's voices. So, so often I think leadership in the past has been about speaking when I think that leadership is primarily actually about listening. Um, so if we say that we're going to you know, hear everyone's voice. Well, you've got to shut up long enough to actually listen <laughs> to someone else. So, you know, that's why we have community forums. And I know we bang on about them, but it's why they're so important because they're the main opportunity for, for everybody to have their say and to contribute and participate. So we'll always do those and we're trying to work out the best way to do them and make them as effective as we can. But uh, yeah, that's why we, we have community forums. And we also do, and it's become a bit of an annual tradition now, but um, you'll see it come out in a couple of weeks' time. But every year we do a church survey. Um, and again, it's anonymous, so you can really say what you think, although I'd encourage you to be constructive and kind with that because there's human beings on the other end of it. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, we ask lots of questions about your experience of church and um, that really helps us shape, okay, what, what can we be doing better? What should the next year look like? So when that comes out in a couple of weeks, please do uh, fill that in because that really helps us. Um, and then finally, obviously, it's important that I own my mistakes and say sorry. So um, I hope that I do that. And I'm not perfect. You know, I'm on the same journey as you. I still have a million questions about everything. I don't know what I think about certain things. I'm certainly not a leader that has it all together or, you know, and, and I shouldn't be because that's not that's not healthy for you to think that. So, um, yeah, I, I don't have answers, but I enjoy asking the questions together with you and being part of this community and love what we're doing. And, um, yeah, I'm, I'm just the same. I'm just the same as you. And, uh, yeah, this the, the last thing I'll say really before we, we have a bit of a kind of um, a blessing and a chance to, to respond a little bit. But um, one final thing I felt was really important to say today is about this, like, this is where I might turn into a bit of a rant, <laughs> It's about this sort of slightly weird Christian idea of like church leaders or those who work for churches uh, or, you know, what people call as like ministry roles or ministry jobs are somehow like being more special or holy than everyone else. And hopefully I'm doing a, a good job of dispelling that myth. But, <laughs> but just in case, um, I think it's important to sort of mention um, so a uh, little, little story when when my wife Sarah and I got together I was I was pretty much forced to leave my my Christian ministry job at the time and you know I spent at that point I'd spent my whole life working in Christian roles or jobs that had explicitly in, involved my faith and I kind of knew that was over when I came out as gay and particularly when Sarah and I got married and at that time I was uh, really fortunate I got a job working for Bath College as a lecturer in media and uh, when I kind of announced it on Twitter you know that I was leaving the job that I was in and I was going into to being a lecturer in media somebody I remember somebody replying and saying oh it's such a shame that you'll be leaving Christian ministry and that comment has really stayed with me and actually it makes me really angry now and I don't blame that person at all because I think it's, it's actually just really symptomatic of the like weirdness around Christian culture and jobs that are seen as like ministry jobs or secular jobs um, that ministry is basically sometimes a word that allows you to do whatever you want with no accountability or performance management anyway <laughs> um, so like I will let me tell you that when I worked at Bath College as a media lecturer I honestly did some of my 
holiest, most kingdom-focused work that I've ever done. Like, I worked with these amazing, creative, often misunderstood young people who had quite often been failed by the education system. And it was, it was hard, but flip, it was, it was holy. Um, so I remember one young person who was in care and um, she'd got a flat. Um, um, she, the councillor had kind of enabled her to move into her own flat, but she had nothing, you know, no white goods, nothing, uh, no, no furniture, no kitchen equipment. And we were able to uh, link her up with this organisation who literally just provided her with, like, everything. And I remember just telling her that, that she was going to have everything that she needed for this flat and she just burst into tears and, you know, the relief of it. And, I mean, like you know, that's holy. And another young person actually who'd had a really tough time and um, uh, English wasn't her first language. So despite all the challenges of that, she um, did amazing on the course, worked really hard and she produced this incredible uh, magazine for her final major project. And so I nominated it to be included in the uh, National University of the Arts London uh, exhibition. And it got in and you should have seen her face when I told her this magazine was going to be in this exhibition in London. And, you know, what that then did to her confidence and self-esteem. And she went on to do a level three course and got a distinction, you know, um, holy. <laughs> and I loved my colleagues, you know, and, and they loved me. And there were so many times we helped each other through some, some real rubbish stuff. You know, we covered for each other, we supported one another. And to this day, you know, those, they're among my best friends, you know. And there's, all of that stuff is, is just as holy as this, as this job, you know. I love this quote from David Dart, there isn't a secular molecule in the universe. You know, church leadership isn't special. It's, it's a role, it's a part to play, it's a cog in a bigger thing. And it's important and it's needed, but it's not superior to any other part or cog or role. And honestly, if I or anyone else who works for this church ever starts to think that they're more holy or special than any of you or what you do, then just fire me. Because <laughs> like, <laughs> there is like... I'm going to get emotional if I talk about this, but there's, I can't even look at you because there's so much holiness in this room. Like, and, and I know I don't know some of you like massively well, but some of you I do. And the things that you do, the skills that you have, like the relationships you invest in, the jobs you hold, the, the caring responsibilities you perform, like that inspires me. And it's, it is deeply, deeply holy. And it is just as holy as anything that I do in this building or, you know, for this church. And I, I'm not going to list examples because I shouldn't. But yeah, I just, even some of the things that have happened in the last few weeks, like, yeah, just there's been a particular thing where I've just watched uh, a lot of parents with um, kids with special educational needs that have had to really fight, fight hard for their kids to get what they should get. And the holiness in that, the difficulty of that, um, and the desire, the, com you know, the, just the keeping going and like, you know, not, not just a couple of people, but a few people and just how we're there trying to shape what we do as church, how we're trying to learn from that, how we're trying to be inclusive in, lo in lots of different ways. And, um, you know, I was even talking to someone the other day who, who doesn't work, because I think we can talk about jobs a lot, can't we get too much about it's the job that you do. Um, but, you know, people with long-term disabilities that can't work, there's something so holy about how they reveal that value and worth doesn't come from what you do. Like, that's, a, that's such a prophetic, holy, beautiful thing that, that we need, you know? So it's not just about your job. It's, it's all the places that you go, the relationships that you have. All of that is so, so holy and sacred. And please don't ever let anyone, inside or out of the church, make you think that it isn't. Sorry, I'm nearly done. Um, so here's what I want you to do. This is a message verse from Romans 12.1. God helping you, take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work and walking around life and place it before God as an offering. Like what God can do with a life lived like that 
is incredible. And I really hope this week that you can walk into everything that you do and everywhere you go with that renewed sense of, of calling, of holiness, of blessing, of God with you and in you and ahead of you. And another thing, another this is the last thing I'm going to say, another silly thing that we sometimes do in like Christian land is we have these like, you know, commissioning services for like ministers or vicars when they start in post. And I totally get, you know, why it's done. But why don't we do that for everybody? You know, why don't we do that for teachers or nurses or doctors or people that... Anyway, the final straw for me, I think, was... I nearly threw my phone across the room when I read about it on the app, uh, news app on my phone a few years ago. It was when the, the new Archbishop of Canterbury, they had an enthronement. Ugh, like, I, just, I think bad things happen when we put people on thrones. You know, when we say what people, some people do is more special or holy or sacred or God's more in that than he is something else. You know, when we count some roles or tasks or responsibilities as secular and others as sacred, it's rubbish. Everything is holy. Everything is sacred. Everything has the touch of the divine on it and in it if you notice it and recognise it. And I'm going to start ranting now. So... Um, Actually, what I want to do is I want to have a bit of a, a, bit of a recommissioning, not an enthronement, <laughs> but a kind of moment where we can just go, right, where are you right now? What are the places that you go to? You know, and it, it's, it could be a job, it could be a home, it could be the street you're in, it could be a relationship, it could, you know, it could be, again, a, a sort of a prophetic way of living that just reveals things a little bit differently to others. Um, I don't know, but I just want to have a moment where we just kind of remember and invite God, I guess, to just resend us into that stuff. Um, so um, Sarah's going to just come up and read uh, like a blessing over us. And so um, you can kind of do what you want for this. I mean, if you want to kind of stand, you can. Maybe there's something about standing and almost just like receiving this blessing. Um, but if you want to sit where you are, maybe put your hands out or something, you, you can do that. But it's just a sense of God blessing everything that we do, everywhere that we go, seeing it um, um, as holy. So yeah, I'll let Sarah read that. So this is blessing the body. This blessing takes one look at you and all it can say is holy. Holy hands, holy face, holy feet, holy everything in between. Holy even in pain, holy even when weary, in brokenness, holy, in shame, holy still. Holy in delight, holy in distress, holy when being born, holy when we lay down at the hour of our death. So friend, open your eyes, holy eyes. For one moment, see what this blessing sees. This blessing that knows how you have been formed and knit together in wonder and in love. Welcome this blessing that folds its hands in prayer when it meets you. Receive this blessing that wants to kneel in reverence before you. You who are temple, sanctuary, home for God in this world. Let's pray. God, thank you that there isn't a secular molecule in the universe that everything is infused with you and your goodness. And that includes us, the jobs that we do, the relationships that we have, the caring responsibilities we perform, the streets we live on, the schools we go to. 
And I just pray for a just renewed sense of that reminder for everybody here that, that they are holy and that you are with them in everything that they do, that it has value and worth. And I just pray that this week we'll have moments where we feel that and experience that in the ways that we all need to. And that we will have opportunities to tell other people that who they are and what they do is holy and sacred and it matters. Amen. You're listening to a podcast from Oasis Church Bath. To find out more about us, visit our website at www.oasisbath.org.